Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you? My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14 with me. That's where we're going to spend all of our time today. And uh, we're going to cover most of Matthew chapter 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. You can grab one of those Bibles. But today is part one of a two-week series that we're calling Fish, Feet, Faith. And it sounds a little bit like a Jeopardy category, doesn't it? Like, uh, I'll take things that smell funny. But uh, it's actually not about that at all. We're going to talk for the next couple of weeks about serving. And if you've been around church for any time at all, what often gets communicated uh, when we talk about serving is the church's need for you to get involved, right? It's the need of the ministry, and you are the solution to that need. And listen, I want you to know that need is real. I'll be the first one to admit. I mean, we see almost 600 people at this campus each Sunday, uh, and, and there is no way that just our small staff could serve every single person who comes in and out of our doors every single Sunday. There's no way we could do what we do week in and week out without a large, committed group of volunteers. I mean, the church needs people to serve like a car needs an engine. Because without that critical component of people serving, the ministry suffers and the mission doesn't move forward and the gospel suffers. So if you've ever considered serving, but maybe you've looked around here and you've thought, well, everything looks like it's covered, uh, looks like everything's taken care of, I can just take a pass, please know that's not true. That if the, the question is, does the church need you to serve, then the answer is yes. But the bigger question, and the question that I want to address this morning is this. It's do you need you to serve? And I realize that that sounds kind of funny. Grammatically, that's probably not right. But I worded that specifically because I believe that there's something that happens to us in the midst of serving that doesn't happen by any other means in our lives. And what I hope you'll see this morning is this that God calls us to serve in order to grow our faith. If you're taking notes this morning, that's on your notes page. But God often calls us to serve in order to grow our faith. Serving oftentimes comes down to a matter of faith. And that means that, that it's really important that we get this right because the Bible makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so as followers of Jesus, we need, to, we need to not only have faith, but to continue growing in our faith. These things are critically important. And I recognize that there are, there are some of you here this morning who have had a thought of serving. You're not opposed to that thought, but right after that thought comes this one. It's the thought that, well, I, I don't, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I, they, you know, they don't need somebody like me. I'm not gifted enough. And if that's you, I just, I don't want you to miss this. That actually means that you are the perfect person to start serving because God calls us to serve in order to grow our faith. And so to show you exactly what I'm talking about, we're going to look again at Matthew chapter 14, and as soon as you see what this is, and some of you have already turned there, and you've seen what it is, and you're like, yep, I know this one, I've heard it a hundred times, I know how it ends, but I want you to hang with me, because I hope to show you something this morning that was so eye-opening for me when I heard it taught by another pastor, and it's something that changed my whole perspective on the subject of serving, and how serving really grows our faith. Let's look at it together, Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 13, where it says that when Jesus heard what had happened, 
he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, we started in verse 13, but what Jesus has just heard happened is that his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been executed by Herod, okay? Herod had taken his brother's wife as his own wife. It was an improper marriage, and John kept using that as a sermon illustration. And so uh, Herod and his wife got tired of hearing about it all of the time, and so uh, Herod put John in prison. Ultimately, he had him beheaded, and th that was Jesus's cousin John. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, and Jesus loved John. John was a ministry partner early in Jesus's ministry, and so Jesus is, is feeling the effects of what he has just heard, and, and we read this uh, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, that he is looking for a quiet place to process what has happened. He's trying to get away and to be alone, and so uh, the second half of, of verse 13 says, hearing of this, the crowd's followed him on foot from the towns. So Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds, but here they come. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, look at this next line. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. I mean, let's don't rush past this, okay? I want you to really try to put yourself in Jesus' shoes here. He's, his cousin John has been executed. He wants to get away. He wants to be alone. But the crowds, it sounds like they figured out where he was going, and it sounds like they were already there as Jesus is pulling up in his boat. And I'm just telling you, you know, there, there's Jesus in the boat. Here's the crowd. And if that's me, you know, I, I'm telling whoever is driving the boat, like, get me out of here. Get, let's go someplace else. I'm not doing this today. I can't handle this today. These people have all these needs and all these wants, but I need to focus on me. I need to focus on what has happened in my life, but that's not Jesus' response at all. The text says that he had compassion on them, and he began healing their sick, and he puts the crowd's needs ahead of his own need. And then verse 15 says that as evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place. This is a remote place and it's already getting late, so send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now this is where the story gets really rich for your story and mine. Listen to this. In verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now remember, they're in the middle of nowhere. Okay, they didn't plan on feeding anyone, certainly not a crowd, and they're not prepared, and they want Jesus to send these people away, but Jesus tells them plainly, they don't need to go away. You feed them. You feed these people, and this is the tension that we will all face on our Christian journey. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to face this tension if you're not facing it right now. It comes every single time that you see a need in front of you and your heart goes out to that ministry or that person, whatever that need might be. And as you see that need, you begin to feel God nudging you and saying, you meet it. You get involved. You be the one to do something about that. And if you're like most of us, your first response is probably uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not the person who meets the needs. I just pray for the needs. That's what I do. I'm just a prayer warrior. And so, God, would you please raise up more people? Would you, would you raise up people to meet that need? Because when you think about what it might mean for you to be the one to step into those situations, you are fully aware of what that might require of you. 
And what if they ask hard questions and I don't have the answers? And I don't have training for that. And life is so busy and I don't have time and on and on and on. And we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we're not the right person for the job. But I'm just telling you, as a follower of Jesus, there's going to be a time in your faith journey when God is going to nudge you to step outside of all of those reasons and outside of your comfort zone and to get involved. That's what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 14 with his disciples. And you know what's funny is that they responded exactly the way that we so often respond. Look at verse 17. The disciples say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And understand, we're, we're going to find out later in the story that there were 5,000 men in this crowd. That's just the men. We, we don't have a count of the women and the children who are also likely there, but 5,000 men. And, and the disciples are, are saying, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're not bringing these items to Jesus with optimism. They're telling him, Jesus, you've made the wrong call. This is all we have. We can't do this. We're not prepared. You've got the wrong guys. And they're standing there with their two little fish and their five small loaves of bread. And this is supposed to be their illustration to show Jesus how poorly he has calculated this situation. But Jesus replies with what I think is the most important statement in this entire passage. And if you're reading along in your own Bible, I would encourage you to underline verse 18. Jesus says this, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. That statement, I believe, speaks volumes to what is really going on here. And I think Jesus' response to his disciples is exactly what he wants us to hear when we come to him with all of our excuses and all the reasons why we're not the right person to get involved. What does he say? Just bring me what you have. Just bring it to me. Just bring what you have. But Jesus, I'm so busy with work and school and family, and I, outside of that, I just don't have much time. And Jesus says, well, just bring me what time you do have. Well, yeah, but, but Jesus, I don't even know what I'm talking about, and there's so much I don't know about you, and I don't know your word that well. And Jesus says, well, just bring me what you do know. Let's, let's just start with that. But Jesus, I don't have any experience, and I've never done this before. Well, well, just bring me what experience you do have. Stop focusing on what you don't have and just bring me what you do have. Now watch what Jesus does in verse 19. It says, he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. So imagine this, Jesus takes this very small amount of food from his disciples and he prays over it, he thanks God for it, he divides it up and then he hands it right back to the disciples. And so each of them now has maybe enough food for just one person, right? Just a very small amount of food in their hand, no miracle yet. And these men are standing there with just this handful of food and they've got a choice to make. Jesus has told them, you feed them, that's your job. And while these guys didn't know how to feed over 5,000 people with just this small amount of food, they did know how to pass out fish and bread. And so they choose to obey. And that's what they did. They just start passing it out. They start giving pieces of fish and bread to everybody who's seated there, giving it to the people. 
And when you feel that nudge and God says to you, I want you to meet that need. I want you to serve on that team. I want you to serve that ministry. And you have all the reasons in the world why you're not qualified. I want you to understand that your response and my response in that moment is really simple. You just do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do. Write that down if you're taking notes. You do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do because the tension you feel when God tells you that you're the one that he wants to meet that need, that's your faith muscle being stretched and God is stretching it because he wants it to grow. And what's at stake isn't simply the need that might go unmet. What's also at stake is the fact that God wants to do something in you to grow your faith and your response in that moment will have a direct impact on your intimacy with the Father. That's what's always at stake when you feel that internal nudging to get involved, to serve on that team, to meet that need. And you may look around at the people serving and think, man, I could never do what they do because I'm not gifted enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented enough. But listen, I'm telling you this is true. I'm telling you this is true. Behind every story of every big move of God in our world, whether it's through ministries or missions organizations or individuals who have done amazing things for God, behind every single one of those stories is a simple principle at work. And it's a person who said, I'll do what I know how to do and I'll trust God to do what only he can do because that's the way God works every single time. And in the process, our faith gets stretched and we come out on the other side saying, man, look at what God did. I mean, there is no way I could have pulled that off. I don't have the capacity to do something like that. That could only be God stepping in and doing that. And I think that's what happened with the disciples. Look at verse 20. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. And then they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Remember, they started with just a handful. And now they've got 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. And I have to believe that even years later, as the disciples told this story, that they saw it with such great clarity as, as people asked them, man, you were there, weren't you? Were you, man, tell us how that happened. I don't think a single one of them said, yeah, you know what, we, we had this little bit of fish and we just, we passed it out in just the right way so everybody had some and we actually ended up with 12 basketfuls. No, that's not what they did. They just did what they knew how to do. All they knew how to do was pass out bread and fish. We just did what we knew how to do. But Jesus, he, he did something incredible. He did what only he could do. And he fed everybody. And then there was all this food left over. Now, I have come to believe that Jesus had a very specific and intentional motive in everything that he did with his disciples. Everything he did with them. Because he knew that in a very short amount of time, he was leaving and he was going to entrust his entire ministry uh, right into their hands. And so if their faith wasn't rock solid, if their confidence and their trust in God wasn't strong, this thing wasn't going to work. 
And so he had to make sure that in his short amount of time with them, that they were prepared for what was ahead. And so all of this again, yes, it met a felt need of the crowd and hungry people were fed. But understand that the bigger story here is that this was faith building 101 for the disciples. And now Jesus is going to give them uh, the 201 course, okay? He's going to move right into it. And in verse 22, it says this, immediately, immediately, and that word is so important because it tells us this didn't happen a week later, this didn't happen a month later, this happened immediately. We've just fed all of these people. And now Jesus says, Jesus, he, he makes the disciples get into a boat and to go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So often we teach these two passages independent of each other. I just want you to know it's boom and boom. One happened and then the next one right next to each other. So Jesus says, you guys get in the boat, head on over to the other side. I'm going to dismiss this crowd. And just imagine what that would have been like for just a second, trying to dismiss a crowd where you've just fed and healed everybody right? Okay, you're dismissed. No, I think we're just going to hang with you, Jesus. This is working out pretty good. But somehow he gets them all to, to walk away. Uh, they head off in their own directions. And verse 23 says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Okay, so Jesus is finally getting this time alone with his father. The whole reason he's come to this solitary place. And it says that later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable, considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And right here is the 201 lesson for the disciples. Okay, Jesus told these guys to row across the lake. And I'm guessing they didn't even think twice about that. I mean, most of these guys are fishermen. If there's one thing they know, it's boats and water and fish. And so Jesus says, just head across the lake. They get in, they start rowing. They know what they're doing. They've been on this lake before, no big deal, right? But now it's later that night and they're a considerable distance from land, but the wind and the waves are against them and they are doing everything they know how to do, but they are not moving and remember, this is what they're supposed to be good at. Like this is what they're experienced at. Are you starting to see the lesson? Verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn. Okay, so now they've been rowing all night. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, what's that next word? Terrified. It's not normal to see somebody walking across a lake, is it? It's not normal now. It wasn't normal then. They see Jesus coming across the lake, and they are terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so now I think Peter has an idea. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I think Peter has an insight right here. I don't know it for sure. I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here. I admit that. But I think he figured out the 201 lesson that Jesus was trying to teach. And maybe he started to think back through all the events of the day, like just five little loaves and, and two fish. And we had all these people to feed. And we knew we couldn't do it, but we did what we knew how to do. And Jesus did a miracle. And then Jesus told us to row across this lake, and that's something that we should have had no problem with at all, something that would be easy for us, but, but he knew we wouldn't be able to do it. 
And now he's just out there taking a walk on the water like it's no big deal. I mean, we're rowing for our dear lives and he's just taking a stroll on the lake. And I think I'm starting to get it. I think we can do anything Jesus asks us to do if we just do what we know how to do and trust him to do what only he can do. And in verse 28, I think Peter decides to test his theory. So he says, Lord, if it's you, and I'm really hoping it's you out there, tell me to come to you on the water. And this is so important. Please don't miss this. Because what Peter didn't say was, Lord, I'm jumping in and I'm trusting you to, to, to save my life. Okay, Peter didn't say that. I'm just going to see what happens. Here we go. That's not faith. That's stupidity. Okay? And a lot of, of things have been launched under the premise of, I've got a great idea. I'm going to do a great thing. I'm going gung-ho, and I'm just going to trust Jesus to bless my great idea. That's not the lesson. But Peter understood that whenever God ask me to do something that I know I'm incapable of doing. Whenever he calls me out of my comfort zone, whenever he calls me to, to something that's bigger than, than what I think I might be able to handle, if I simply do what I know how to do, he'll do what only he can do. And so Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, you tell me to come to you. You gotta tell me, invite me to come out to you. And maybe the other guys were like, just, just do it, Peter. Just jump in. This is going to be great. We're going to see Peter's going to die today, right? Just do it. But Peter sees it clearly and he understands, no, he has to invite me first. And so in verse 29, Jesus replies, come. Come on, he said. And then Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Man, isn't that awesome? You get it? Like Peter didn't know how to walk on water but he knew how to get out of a boat. He knew how to put one foot in front of the other. And so Peter does what he knows to do, and he trusted that Jesus would do what only Jesus could do. Now folks, to a great degree, that is the Christian life. That is the Christian life. And I would encourage each of you here today to start praying the Peter prayer. Jesus, just invite me out. Jesus, call me, call me out, call me to it, and whatever you call me to, no matter how crazy it seems, no matter how big it is, no matter how small my faith may be in the moment, like if you're calling me to it, I'm in. I'll do it. I wanna see what you can do, even if it doesn't make any sense. If I know that you're the one inviting me to it, I'll just be faithful. I'll just be faithful. Now, unfortunately, verse 30 is what Peter is most well known for. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he, he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And Peter gets such a bad rap because he took his eyes off of Jesus, right? But what we often forget is that Peter's the only one who had the faith to get out of the boat in the first place, like to give this a try. And I think Jesus' tone here is like, Peter, Peter, you almost had it. You were so close. Why did you, you take your eyes off me? You were right there. I want you to trust me deeper. Stop thinking about what you can and can't do. I want you to live by faith, and you almost had it, Peter. So Jesus catches Peter on his way down, and then in verse 32, it says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, why couldn't the disciples 
do this simple task of rowing across the lake. It's because of the wind, right? The wind's blowing against them. The waves are crashing against the boat. And what does Jesus do? Well, he does what only Jesus can do. And he calms the wind. The waves flatten out and it smooths seas. And then verse 33, and this is hilarious. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Like Jesus, we suspected it with the feeding of the 5,000 thing, but now we know for sure you are the son of God, right? What's it gonna take for these guys to really believe that Jesus is the son of God? But listen, here's what I want you to realize this morning. When you pulled into our parking lot, you were most likely greeted and directed by some folks uh, who serve out there every single Sunday. And, and they show you where to find a great parking spot and they make sure that you get in and out of our space safely. And that's our parking team. And they do that every single weekend. And every one of them is a volunteer. And then I bet you walked up the sidewalk to a set of double doors. And at that set of double doors were a couple more people who greeted you, who welcomed you, who told you they were glad you came to church today. If you didn't know where you were going, I bet they pointed you in the right direction. And that's our host team. And every single person on our host team is a volunteer. And then I bet most of you headed to our cafe area where there were people preparing things. They were here before I was this morning, quite honestly. And they were brewing coffee and they were setting out bagels and they were putting that fancy knife in the cream cheese. All so that when you got here this morning, you would know we were anticipating you. We were hoping you would come and we wanted to have something ready to warm up your insides and fill up your belly a little bit so that you could listen and get into God's word and not be distracted by something like hunger or sleepiness. And that's our cafe team. And every single person on that team is a volunteer. And then for a lot of you, you headed down our Gen Kids hallway and you were greeted by a smiling face that was ready to receive your kids, to bring them in and to teach them about Jesus in a way that is fun and interactive and in a way that would stick with them so that the gospel would begin to grow in their hearts. And that's our Gen Kids team and they love what they do and they're really good at it. And they do it every single week. And every single person on that team is a volunteer. And then at some point you made your way in here and you were greeted again by some more folks from our host team who handed you uh, a program and on the back of that has all the things that are going on around Genesis so you'd be in the know and you didn't even know it but some people from our prayer team had already been praying for you for about 30 minutes before you walked in these doors. And then some volunteers on our band and our tech team led you in worship so that no matter what had happened this past week, you could have a moment to come into the presence of God and to experience his grace and his joy and every single person on those teams is a volunteer and listen every single person on every single team here at Genesis has one thing in common and that is that when they felt that nudge to get involved to meet that need that they said yes they said I might not have it all figured out but I'm going to do what I know how to do and I'm going to trust God to fill in the gaps and I want you to know we don't have any perfect people here at Genesis Church just a bunch of folks with enough faith to say, God, if you're inviting me to it, I'm in. I'm in. I want you to hear the story of one of those people. Check out this video.
starting Genesis, I felt like the Lord was calling me outside of the church, outside of myself, kind of like out of my comfort zone. And so I signed up to go to Haiti. I think that God stretched me in a way um, that I didn't expect. I think that I thought that I would go there and I would have this once in a lifetime opportunity and experience. And um, I came back with this desire to want to help more and to want to give more and not to keep for myself, but to give more to others. I feel like God calls us all to serve, whether it's Katie or if it's up front, doing coffee and bagels or if it's with the kids and gen kids, whatever it is, I think he has something in store for you in that. And I feel like you'd be missing out if you didn't just jump right in. Lindsay's a great example of what it means to get involved and to be the one to meet that need here at Genesis Church. And so here's the next deal. For the next several weeks, you're going to be seeing people walking around with red lanyards that say, I've got your invite. And when you see someone wearing that lanyard, you can know that they are currently serving on a team here at Genesis Church, and they would love to invite you into serving with them on the host team, the Gen Kids team, the parking team, uh, the cafe team, wherever it might be. They've got an invite for you. And it's just an invite to, to try it out, to check it out, to see what serving might mean for your life and for your faith. Wherever you might feel God nudging you, if you're feeling that, recognize it for what it is. It's an opportunity to grow and to stretch your faith muscles. So I'm inviting you right now to give this a try. If you're not already serving on a team here at Genesis, would you give this a try? Would you seek out one of these people wearing the red lanyards and just tell them, hey, I'm in. I wanna try serving here at Genesis. And they'll tell you what your next steps are. Will you do it? Will you find that person? And will you be faithful to this? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. And we thank you so much that you first loved us. That, Father, uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have saved us, you have redeemed us, you have given us hope. And, Jesus, your word is clear that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, that you did not come to be served but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And so, Jesus, how could we do any less? If we say we're following you, then how could we live any differently than that? I pray, Lord, that you would draw us to the areas where you would love to see us step further into faith and into service. And Father, maybe just that simple step is just by joining a team here at Genesis and learning what it means to, to live outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zone, and to serve the people here on Sunday mornings. Lord, would you find us faithful to even that this morning? We thank you for Christ. We cannot wait for the day that he comes again, but we want you to find us faithful when he does. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.